This is the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. We help you grow your faith as you grow your business. And now, your host, Jesse Cole. Welcome to the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. I am your host, Coach Jesse Cole. Listen, I'm excited for you, your family, and your business. I'm excited about what God is doing to you, through you, for you, and in you. We have a special guest today, somebody I've known for almost a year now, who has spoken into my life, and I've been watching this gentleman do some great things down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and God has his hands on him and the work that he's doing down there on his wife and his children and his church, but he also has some other great things going on that I wanted to share with you today, especially for those of us who work in ministry, and I think he has a great concept, not just a concept, but a movement to help people, men and women working in ministry, to see themselves bigger than just the four walls. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about pastor, bishop, father, husband, community leader, coach, Christopher Johnson. How you doing, sir? Thank you so much, Jesse. Man, I'm doing great. Uh, and I, I'm so humbled and honored that uh, I can be on the podcast with you today. And I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for being here with us today. And so just like we talked about prior to getting on the call, man, this is going to be more of a conversation. And so just feel free to be appropriately transparent and all that. And so before we get into what you're doing and everything that you have on, on your plate, on your docket, I want people to understand who you are as a person. Like, where do yeah. you come from? Well, listen, I'm from a little city called Niceville, Florida. I, I know people, people never hear about it, but if you've ever been in Destin, Florida, you've ridden right through Niceville, Florida. <laughs> and so that's where, that's where I was raised and I went to high school there, graduated there. And um, my mom and my dad, my dad was in the military and Air Force and he was there on Eglin Air Force Base, but he was also a pastor. So I'm a PK. I grew up in church um, all my life. As far as I can remember, we were in church. My dad pastored several different churches. He planted three churches that I know of, and uh, I was all part of all of those churches and kind of working behind the scenes and breaking down, setting up equipment. I was his musician. I was his uh, media guy. I was his cameraman. I was so uh, we, my sister and I, we were everything, and I have another brother and sister as well, and they were before we were. So uh, so I've kind of been in and around ministry all of my life. Uh, I played football uh, at Niceville High, and I received a full football scholarship to play here in Murfreesboro at Middle Tennessee State University. Back in 1999 was my freshman year here in Murfreesboro. And uh, because I was raised and reared and steered the way I was, it just uh, stuck with me, uh, that scripture that, you know, train up the child in the way they should go, and they will not depart. And I tried to go do everything else, uh, but eventually I came back to um, what was instilled in me, and uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, one, one day in my dorm room on my sophomore year uh, in college, um, the Holy Spirit arrested me. And um, I got saved for real. <laughs> and, um, and I told God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I started doing campus Bible studies uh, there at MTSU, joined a local church, started growing their college ministry and youth ministry. Maybe three years after that, um, God called me into the ministry and I started pastoring my first church, uh, which was a little Baptist church. And um, everything I had touched 
whether it be the campus ministry, whether it was uh, my youth ministry at my dad's church, and then this little church, which when I got there had six people. And in a year's time, we had 150 people, people and the building only sat 130. So we were packed and uh, after years time. And, and so, uh, but there were some generational differences there between me and six people on the staff when I got there. Uh, and so uh, I just decided I didn't want to bump heads with anyone. And so we started a ministry in a theater here on MTSU campus called Zion Christian Ministries. And uh, we were there for about six services. And then we moved out of that uh, theater and we went into a funeral chapel and we did ministry there for six years in that chapel. And, uh, and now we rolled up on the, uh, 2014, we rolled up on the uh, property that we're currently meeting in. And uh, we've been in there for about, uh, for about six years now, five, five years now. So uh, it's been a journey, um, but I've noticed in my ministry and uh, in my life period that I've always been kind of a leader and uh, everything we've touched, God has, has grown it. And so uh, that's kind of the context. I'm married. I met my wife in college. Uh, her name is Toya. She's from Colorado Springs. I'm from Florida. So you look, we come from two different sides of the country and we have three beautiful children, CJ, Jarrell, and Taraja. Wow. We have some, a lot of similarities in our stories, man, as far as, you know, being PKs and, you know, being the first ones there, last one that leaves and <laughs> making communion and sweeping and wiping the walls down. And exactly. That stuff, man. So um, as you were talking about that, I'm like, man, that kind of sound like, what I've been through. So we have some, a lot of similarities there, man, and multiple ministries and, you know, planning churches before, before that was even a thing, you know, like, right. You know, so right. yeah, I appreciate that, man. So, so how, do, how did you know, like for real, for real, how did you know that you were called to be a pastor? I, I know that you were around it all the time. You're around preachers, you're around leaders, but how did you know that you were called to pastor people? Uh, I think it really dawned on me early. Um, I was I was um, maybe 12 years old, and um, I was just a natural leader at everything. Um, and and it wasn't it wasn't that I was trying to be. Uh, I just started paying attention, and my dad really was influential in that. He started to have me pay attention to how uh, it was easy for people to follow me, um, and I started noticing it in our youth ministry. Um, when I would come in a room that, you know, the, all the other kids would flock to me. Um, if I would say, Hey guys, we're going to read our Bible today. All of the other kids would start reading their Bible. Uh, so I think it, I started to really pay attention at around 12 years old that, okay, maybe there's a leadership quality in me. Um, and so I started to hone that and start intentionally using that. Uh, to be influential on on the other of my peers of my age um, at a younger age. And um, so when I got in high school, um, I noticed that a lot of my friends were, you know, doing what teenagers do. Um, but I was in church and I was and I was loving God. And so I started to really be influential in their lives. And um, even through college, you know, they called me Rev um, in college. They wouldn't let me mess up. Uh, I was, you know, even when I tried to go to a party, you know, they'll like, hey, man, somebody take Rev home, <laughs> you know, and so I think it really, really stuck with me. Okay, 
Lord, well, maybe you have something special in my life that I've not totally surrendered to. And so I knew it was there, but I just didn't totally surrender to it. You know, oftentimes other people can see what's on the inside of us before we really do. And so I, I remember when I was a kid, maybe like 11, 12, 13 years old, I, you know, we grew up in the inner city. And of course you got church there, but you also got the, you know, the, the other ills of the community, you know, drugs and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of yeah. people I grew up with, they were from the street, right? And so um, they were doing some exciting things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a house with my parents and they teaching us how to go through the acts of service and they outside doing what they want to do. And so I remember one of my guys, man, uh, he just got out of prison a couple of years ago. And I, you know, I went to see him when he got out. He was like, I said, I was like, Kaji, man, why, why is it that, you know, um, whenever, whenever you guys are going to do your stuff, like you would never let, y'all would never let me come. He was like, <laughs> because we knew that you was the ones that was going to get out. We had to protect. Wow. You know what I'm wow. And so wow. uh, that like hit me hard, man. Like there were people, not only was my family, you know, protecting me, but the people in the streets that I could have easily ran with, they were like, look, Jess, you're going to be the one to get out. You're going to be the one to represent as well. And even to this day, when they see me, they always ask me, are hey, you still hooping? You still doing <laughs> hung my shoes up a long time ago, but they, but they know me for being focused, being a leader and hooping. And they that, that, like, that is what sticks in their head, man. And so I, I agree with that, man. People, people see the leader in you, man, sometimes before you do, but yeah. how, how do you, how did you, even though you knew you were a leader, how did you temper that? Because you could have abused that authority even at a young age, man. So how did you, how did you temper that? Well, uh, and, and, and I know I'm going to reference him a lot in this conversation, but my dad really was a big part of, my dad was training us for something I didn't know he was training us for. Um, and he would always teach us. Um, he, would, he, would, he, would say, he would say things like, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, he would say things like the way you the way you lead people is by example. He would always tell us don't do or don't expect people to do things you wouldn't do. Uh, you know, if you're going to require it, then you have to live it. You know, and so I, I think those things he would keep us humble. And I watched him. You know, um, I watched him lead people. I watched him love people. And um, and then he really, really uh, taught us the importance and the value of servant leadership. Now, you have transactional leaders and you have um, other kind of leaders that, you know, lead, like you said, with that authoritative voice. But for us, we learned that the more authority you have, the more loving you have to be, the more understanding you have to be. Uh, and Jesus led from a low place. And so if I was going to model Jesus's leadership that, you know, when Jesus could have chose his title, he told, he chose a towel. And so he washed the disciples feet and he humbled himself. The Bible says made himself lower than the angels. And so I chose to adopt Jesus's leadership model, the man who had all power in his hand. And yet he chose to go low. And so I lead from that position. I, I lead from that, from that mindset that I'm just a vessel, that the full authority is, in, is, is God, is in him. And I'm just uh, an under shepherd. I'm just being used by him. And so that's my approach, my, my approach to leadership. People give us permission to lead them. And so, so we have to make sure that we manage that influence properly. It's, it's not even our influence, it's God's influence. God has given us that influence. He's loaning that influence to us. 
So we got to make sure we manage that properly, man. So And I say that, you know, when people join our church, I say that to people. I, I tell them, literally, I am so humbled that I get to be your pastor. And we have this saying at our church, not I, I got to serve. No, it's I get to serve. This is a privilege for me uh, that people would entrust me um, with their lives to lead them. And so I think when you see that that way, um, you won't mishandle uh, the assignment that's on your life. And so, but, but, uh, but again, we've been trained in this before we knew we were getting trained in this. <laughs> right, right. So you're like, you're not just a pastor, you're a coach. I believe that you're a, are you the, uh, the chaplain for MTSU as well? I am a chaplain for the MTSU football team. And I've been doing that for uh, nearly eight years now. Yeah. And so the whole pastor plus concept, can you mm -hmm. break that down? Cause I, I know you're living it, right? So you can't, you can't, you can't preach something that you're not living, man. And so can you break that, that, that pastor plus concept down? What is it like? What does that even mean? Yeah. So let me, let me try to do the quick version. So, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that really, really hit me hard um, toward the end of my dad's life, um, my dad had no desire to pastor anymore. And a lot of people don't know this. <laughs> um, he was done. He had told me, he said, son, I really want to just live the rest of my life. He said, but I, I can't do anything else. I really don't know um, if I have anything else to give, you know? And so that really, that really, that really hit me hard. Um, it hit me hard because I watched my dad just kind of go through the motions until he died. Wow. And um, for me, how many, how many other pastors, how many other leaders are in that same boat to where now ministry is no longer something that's a blessing. It has become a burden. It's a bondage now because I'm tied to it I, because I just simply have, I simply have nothing else. And so what was important, what was important for me was to take all of these ideas and package it up and say, well, how can we help the next pastor? How can we help the next minister who feels boxed in um, to understand that there's other ways you can impact the world, that you don't have to just be tied to pulpit ministry. Um, when you look at all of the disciples that Jesus called, they all had something else. Peter was a fisherman. You know, um, you, take, you take Paul, he was a tent maker. Uh, uh, Luke was a physician. Um, Matthew was a tax collector. So you, you take all of these, these ideas and say, man, they, were, they had other skills that they used to impact people and to make a difference in the world. Jesus is the prime example. He's not just the savior of the world. He was a carpenter, <laughs> you know? And so those ideas that I can have something else, Jeremiah in the Bible prophesied for 70 years, not one single convert. He, and, and here's the thing, he, he was just a prophet. The Bible, the text never says he did anything else. Now that led to a very depressed life. I mean, the brother had to be depressed to take one whole book called Lamentation and just write it. And, and the Lamentation means to cry. And he's just crying the whole time. Jeremiah vacillated. He had this dual nature. He would cry one minute and then he'd be happy one minute. He was, he was bipolar. He was depressed. He was stressed. And I just didn't want to live like that. And I said, you know, 
there's got to be some other things that I can use to impact the world. And so I'm not just a pastor. There's a plus side to my life. There's some other things, some in addition to, not to discredit me being a pastor. I love what I do, but it's a both and. I can be both a pastor and something else and a chaplain, you know, and an entrepreneur and a father and a husband. And I can be all of these things packaged up um, but not to divide any one of them. I'm not just a pastor on today, and then I'm going to be the greatness coach tomorrow, and then I'm going to be a husband next week. No, I'm all of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I think the idea of Pastor Plus is to help pastors discover and then deploy what it is that they can impact the world using transferable skills. And I think that's the key, that these skills are transferable. There's some, there's some resident skills that are required to being a pastor that can be used in other places and especially in other marketplaces. Yeah. What I'm hearing, as you say, you know, you have all of these different titles. The thread of connectivity is understanding what your purpose is. Um, yes. You know, you write about that in, in your book that I've, been, um, that I've been chewing on for some time now, man. Like what your, what your purpose is will help you to be able to demonstrate that in all these various environments or all these various roles or what we call the platform, the, the kingdom platforms. And so I really like the fact that, that you kind of write from a perspective of not just a pastor, but somebody who's been out there doing other things. And now you have the battle scars, right? To really, to really talk about this stuff, man. So how are you empowering your leaders at Zion Christian Ministries to live this pastor plus lifestyle? Perfect. Um, I have, as it stands, 17 associate ministers at our church. And uh, one of the things that I tried to push them to do, um, I had a young preacher come in and first thing he wanted to do, he said, um, he said, hey, hey, Bishop, man, I want to go to seminary. And I said, okay. So I said, so listen, tell me this. What is your why? What is it? Why do you think God placed you on this planet? And he told me, you know, I want to make a difference in people's lives. And I said, do you think the only way you can do that is by preaching the gospel? I said, because here it is. You can preach the gospel right here today. I said, I can, you can get right here on this microphone and use our platform and preach the gospel. You don't need a seminary degree to do that. I said, but when it's all over, when it's all said and done, when you get that seminary degree, um, what else are you going to be able to do? <laughs> and, uh, and he, and it, he, he just kind of sat there and he thought about it. He said, well, and I really, really love journalism. I really love like blah, blah, blah. You know, he started going. And I said, now, why not pursue that and then come back, get your master's in seminary degree? I said, because when ministry is over and when church is done, you got to have something that you're going to be able to do. Or why not grow them both together? And, uh, and so what I'm pushing our ministers and, and the um, laborers here at Zion to do is to grow both sides of their life, the pastor and the plus side together simultaneously and let them feed each other. Uh, Coach Michael Burke, who we all know, uh, Coach Michael Burke talks about intentional congruence. Mm -hmm. One area of your life feeding the other area. You know, and so um, what I've what I've discovered and I tell them, watch me, what I've discovered is one platform feeds the other platform. Right. So when I'm going into MTSU to do the chaplain thing, they know I'm the pastor of Zion Christian Ministries. I'm always going to 
speak content that ties them into some content we're doing at the church. See, it's all working together. Uh, and so I, I really, I'm really pushing them to work all areas of their lives at the same time. And those who are married, pump into your marriage, you know, the same way, the same energy. You've got kids, man, pump into your kids the same way. So that's really how I'm really pushing them. And, you know, without me giving a whole bunch of details, but I'm really stressing those ideas. You write something and uh, I believe it's chapter one of your book, Our Purpose Shapes Our Worldview, right? Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about the person who may be going to church all the time and that's all they know is how to do ministry. You know, that's all they know. They don't know anything else. Um, but in, in your book, you kind of give us a, some relief from, from the weight of ministry, right? You talk about when we are moved by purpose, it creates a lens for us to see the world through. You go on, you go on to say it affects what we hear, not what there is to be heard, right? It, it, it affects what we hear Yes, there is to be heard. I believe that word right now is pertinent, especially with what's going on right now through this um, COVID-19 pandemic. And one thing that I've been, you know, um, impressing on the people that are close to me and in my clients is that, what are you hearing right now? Like, not what are you watching, not what everybody is saying, but despite what you, despite what the news is saying, despite all the doom and gloom that's going on, what, like, what is heaven saying right now? Like, what are you hearing? Because because what, whatever you're hearing, then you're going to move just like that. I call it the, the watch the throne mentality. Whatever God is saying, whatever he's doing, however he's moving, you say it, you do it, and you move. Because those of us who are believers, we serve a God who is bigger than what's going on right now, right? I believe that because of what I'm hearing. And so what is God saying? As you watch the throne, like what is, what is God saying, man? So when I read that in your book, and then um, I, I looked at what God was saying to me, like, okay, just watch me. Watch me. Watch me. When we go back to Second Kings seven, and excuse me if I mess this up, but the uh, the four lepers, right? Uh, you got the four lepers, and then you got the the army, the, the enemy army, ready to attack. But then, in at home, it's like a, it's like famine and drought going on, doom and gloom. And they said, listen, if we go back into the city, which they weren't permitted to go there anyway, if we go, if we try to go back there, we gonna die. Here we gonna die. If we go out there, we gonna die too. But it's food and clothing out there. Right, right. right. <laughs> them better out there. So let's take this risk. Let's take this risk. We're going to go and, and, and see what the end's going to be, right? And right. so they got up. They got up at daybreak. And they began to walk towards the enemy's camp. But as they were walking towards the enemy's camp, the enemy heard a different sound. Yes. They began to flee and they left all their stuff behind, which allowed the lepers to get what they needed. And they didn't just keep it for themselves. They took some, they went back to the kingdom and told everybody else what was going on too. So they heard some different. The enemy heard some, but they heard some different. So understanding like, what are you hearing right now? Yeah. I know what you're hearing, but what are you hearing here for real, for real though? <laughs> and and, and as, as a pastor plus recipient, as somebody who's embraced this, this concept, this movement, like I believe that is pertinent right, that, right now. Yes. Leaders, religious leaders, believers to really grab a hold to, to what you're saying right now, man. Well, you know, and it's, it is applicable to all ministry leader or a community organizer, whoever you are listening today. Um, you, you're so, you're so point on with that. And I, I remember, um, when I was writing that concept, because oftentimes when we are, when we are pushed with purpose, 
it, it really shapes those channels, like how I hear and process information. My perspectives, my lenses are going to be shaped by my purpose and what I'm driven to do. Case in point, some people would have said when, when a stay-at-home order came out, some people heard it, some pastors heard this, I'm not going to be able to have church, church is going to be over, I can't. But see, see, the way I'm shaped, my purpose is to impact, impact people's lives and, and to push them toward greatness, right? So, so my, my purpose tells me, my lens told me, okay, we got to stay at home. So the, what I heard was, I didn't hear we're staying at home, no more church. What I heard was, that's more reach. On any given Sunday, I'm preaching to maybe 500. When I go online, I'm preaching to thousands. So what I heard was a greater ministry opportunity, right? So, because the way, I'm, the way I'm built, what my purpose is with creati creativity and innovation, and that's part of my purpose. I really believe that. That's why I'm in Murfreesboro, to make a difference in that area. So I heard something different. And that's why it's, it's very vitally important for us to understand our environments and what's shaping us, what's, what's, what's shaping our thoughts and our cultures, because environments are important. How you were raised, how you were reared, how you were steered, where you allow yourself even now outside of your parents' home, where you're, where you're hanging out, who you're talking to. Environments are important. You know, God spent most days creating the environment before he created Adam and Eve. He created their environment before he sat them in it. You know, he's, he only created, it took them, him one day to create them, but he it took him five days to create their environment. That's crucial because God knew something about the environment that if we just tap into what's around us, it shapes and molds. And so I, I don't mean to preach. I'm sorry. No, but listen, this is, this is good because culture counts, man. Like the culture that you create is the culture that you have to manage. That's it. So making sure that you have the, the right people around you, that you're hearing the right, that you're reading the right things, that you're reading things that, now I, wanna, I don't want to say the right things, but the things that help you demonstrate what your purpose and assignment is. Like you have mm -hmm. to ask yourself, God, what is your best for me? Second of all, is what I'm doing right now, is this going to help me demonstrate my purpose and my assignment at a, at a bigger level and with more clarity? Because okay. when you ask yourself those questions, you're going to do away with all the distractions. Well, you're going to still get distracted sometimes because we're human, but you're going to be able to come back to something. You're going to get back into alignment once you know exactly what it is you're here to do. That's it. That's it. And it's so powerful uh, when you think about how, how God throughout history used different people who had different lenses, had different environments, context matters. Um, you know, Jesus didn't, he was born of a particular set of parents. He, they, they had a particular socioeconomic um, condition. They, they came from particular families. That's why Matthew spent so much time giving Jesus his lineage. It mattered, <laughs> you know, and so I wanted to encourage somebody who may be listening that it, it matters where you come from. And then another another book that I wrote called Man Made Men, it was talking about shaping the character of young men. I always often include the history of the individual because what you have to do is make a decision. 
like for example, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, three generations of men, you have to make a decision. Do I want to continue on in this path of this family lineage or legacy, or do I want to create my own? And I think that's eventually where everybody has to get to the point to where they're, they're saying, okay, enough is enough, or man, I'm proud of my legacy, I'm proud of my heritage, and I want to be a link in the chain. Some people maybe look at their history and say, I, I'm not proud of my, of my culture, my environment. And so you've got to now create. You've got to now create. God put that in you. We're, you're made in light. It's an image of God. He's a creator. So you have to create a legacy, create a culture. And that's fine too. But I think eventually what we have to understand is what we create. You said it best. What we create, the culture we create shapes how we think how we respond, how we react. How does a person find their plus? Oh, that's a good question. So here's, here's the, one of the very first exercises I did with all of our ministers. I told them, get a blank sheet of paper, right? Sit down with a blank sheet of paper. And I said, I'm gonna ask you two questions. What makes you come alive? And what makes you lose sleep? And I said, hey, write as many things as you can down. What makes you come alive? Um, it was Howard Thurman who said that what the world needs is those individuals who have come alive. And I tell them, if it makes you come alive, like right now, I'm trying to hold, I'm trying to be good, right? Because I'm, I'm coming alive, right? Because I'm in purpose. This is me in purpose, right? It makes me come alive. I can't hold myself, right? So, so everyone has that. It just makes you, when I talk about it, it makes me come alive. For some of you listening, it could be teenage pregnancy. For some of you listening, it could be, man, I've got a heart for young men who get locked up too soon. Uh, for some of you, it's like, man, I love writing books. Whatever makes you come alive, write it down. And then there's some things. You wake up early and you go to bed late. You just lose sleep. Uh, I just don't know how to get rid of it. I can't shake it. I just keep thinking about it. Write it down. I think the very first place to start is writing down what makes you come alive and what makes you lose sleep. Once you have that, one of the exercises I do in, our, in my greatness coach program is I, I try to push people to get at least five situations that happen in their lives that move them with compassion, made you cry. It was life-changing. Give me five instances. It could be a speech you heard. It could have been a program you were in. Somebody said something to you. For me, it was when my mom told me that day I got saved for real. I called my mom and said, I got saved for real, mama. Like, I don't know what just happened. And she said, you were the only baby we had. We didn't have your name before I got pregnant. She said, we named you at the last minute. And she said, your name, Christopher in the Latin, means to carry Christ. Life-changing for me. So now I'm living up to my name. Life-changing for me. So now what that does is that gives me purpose. It gives me direction. And so what it did was it made me come alive. That was a life-changer. Oftentimes when you have those experiences in life, purpose is found in those. So... Between that blank sheet of paper, five life-changing, life-altering instances, I think somewhere in those pages, you'll, you'll see your purpose. That's good. That's good. 
earlier you were talking about your why. I, I, I think that, that concept was made uh, famous by Simon Sinek, right? And so, yes. yes, I believe that is a great concept. Well, this is what God revealed to me about my why a couple of years ago. Why, like I'm a, I'm a big acronym guy, right? Why, what haunts you, right? Wow. Talking about what wakes you up, you know, like what do, what do you lose sleep over? You feel like you, you this this is part of the, the solution you can off, offer to the world. Like it's like fire shut up in my bones. Like I can't. I don't think Paul said that. Forgive me. Jeremiah. Jeremiah said it's like fire shut up in my bones. Paul was talking about preaching. Like I got to do this pretty much. Yes. Right? Woe yes. is me if I preach not. What haunts you? What is that thing that you do that makes you come alive, but that you feel like if you were on stage with fifty million other people, they couldn't do it like you. Yes. God has given this to you and nobody else can do it like you. This is your specific area of influence, right? Like, what is that thing that haunts you, man? So thank you for saying that, man. That, that kind of, that, that, that brought some, I'm getting excited too, man. I'm supposed to be interviewing you, man. Come on now. <laughs> well, hey, this is what I do. I'm in purpose. <laughs> so no, the, the whole Pastor Plus concept is great, but I'm pretty sure you've experienced some resistance. Yeah, oh yeah. So talk about some of the internal challenges, internal resistance, and outward resistance that you face since you implement this into the marketplace. Well, you know, like any other profession or field or career or whatever you put your hands to do, you always battle with insecurity. Uh, and, it's, and it's strange that that would be a battle for me at this point, a ministry that, I've, that my wife and I founded, a ministry that we created the culture, a ministry that, you know, I mean, literally, ha I have home field advantage every week, but I still get nervous, and I still wonder, like, God, am I the right guy for this? Um, do I have enough skill? Do, you know, am, you know, and it's weird that I still struggle with that, but it's like, am I, am I, am I adequate? Is, is, you know, somebody else better suited for this church and this ministry? I didn't ask for, you know, we started in my living room. I, I had no number in mind, like this is where I want the church to be. And here it is, we are 13 years later. I didn't ask for 600 plus people. Uh, you know, a lot has changed since then, you know, and growing uh, through this pandemic, we've grown. Our, we're, people are still joining the church online, you know, and I'm like, I, you know, God, it, it, should I be doing something else? So I think for me, I still battle with insecurity. Um, I'm not the prototypical pastor. You know, you say a church our size in our city now. I'm talking in our city. A church our size in our city. We're 13 years old and we're probably the third largest predominantly African-American church in our city. The, re the, the, the other two hundreds of years old. And I wrestle with that. Like, Lord, you know, should it be me? <laughs> uh, and so I think for me, what I have to try to, what I have to try to do is, is really, really focus in on it's not, it's not me, it's God. Uh, you know, and so that's been one of my personal struggles is getting over the fact that God, yes, God is saying, yes, it is you. And I am using you. I am blessing your life, but you, you were, you were prepared for such a time as this. And here's the, here's, Here's just the harsh reality. I don't have a seminary degree. You know, I, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I'm not the prototypical. I don't have the pastor jargon. I don't have the, 
You know, I'm just a normal guy. I don't fit in the denominational pastor circles. I, I don't know any of the official lingo. I preach in a hoodie. I don't, <laughs> I preach in jeans and a, and a t-shirt. So I, I'm not normal in that sense. Um, and so those are my struggles. You know, sometimes even though I'm, I'm past the part of acceptance, there's a part of me that I, I do want acceptance. I do want to be accepted amongst my peers. Uh, you know, it gets lonely out here. Um, you know, and so I think those are, those are my personal transparent struggles is, you know, loneliness. Um, you know, who do I, who's my friend? Uh, I got to pass to everybody at my church, you know? So, uh, I don't have, um, you know, but two or three real solid friends. Uh, it's so funny. My wife told me just a few months ago, Hey, you need to take a break. Why don't you just call a couple of your friends up? And just kind of hang out and relax. And I was like, you know, baby, that's a great idea. Yeah. The challenge was <laughs> I started looking at my phone like, yeah, uh, I don't know who I can call. <laughs> and so, you know, those are just my real transparent moments, you know. Yeah. What about the challenges or resistance from the outside? Since you've been talking about this, since you've been professing it and you launched it, what, like, what has been the feedback that you've received from the outside? I think, it, I think because the concept is fairly, even though it's not a, it's not a new um, concept biblically, I think we've always seen this in the Bible, but I just think packaging it up, really saying, hey, you're a pastor plus person. You, you can be both a pastor and an entrepreneur, business owner, or a community leader. I think the resistance I've seen is it's not, it's, it's not a traditional thought, you know? And um, to tell pastors that it's okay to use your skills across multiple platforms, I think, well, no, I'm a pastor. Yeah, you are a pastor, but you know, if you took just the skill set of a pastor, wrote it down on a piece of paper, and listed it and handed it to a CEO, they probably hire you because it takes that skill set to run an organization. And so I think the kickback has been, you know, guys who over-spiritualize um, everything. Like, you know, uh, like you take Joshua, for example, we'll, we'll over-spiritualize the fact that, he, you know, Joshua was a great, he was a great man of God. He led the children of Israel into the promised land. Yeah, but Joshua at the core of it was a great military strategist. That's what he was. And God used him. Now with Moses, he was performing miracles. He was causing water to gush from rocks. He made Red Sea part. You know, that was Moses, the highly spiritual leader. But Joshua, no, he says, I'm going to show you how to use that sword. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, Moses was in the spirit. Joshua, he had a skill. And I think sometimes it's hard for pastors to balance the fact that, you know, you're, you're keen with the Moses in you. But you've you've neglected the Joshua in you that's going to require strategy and skill. And um, you've got skill that you haven't tapped into. Like to be able, some pastors work good on the fly. Like, you know, I think one of my skills is to be able to move on the fly. You know, some things happened with us this week at our church and the whole team was like nervous and like, oh, how are we going to do this? And I just walked out and I just, boom, that's just a skill. Well, 
I can use that skill somewhere else. <laughs> you see, that was natural for me to do that there, but that skill is, it can be used somewhere else. And I think the kickback from pastors is, it's such a new concept. Well, I, I want to, I'm a pastor at heart, or I don't want my people to think, or I, you know, I think that's been the kind of kickback we've had. Um, but now pastors are seeing, <laughs> you know, um, listen, people aren't there now. Everybody's at home. It's going to require something else. You know, through this season, I can't just stand flat-footed and preach in the pulpit. Through this season, you've got to literally be a CEO as a pastor. You know, how are, how are, the, how are the tides going to still come in? How are you here, – here's, here's the conversation I had just, just this, this weekend. At this point in the church's life, every pastor – has pretty much the same size congregation. Now, here's the, here's the harsh reality. If you're sitting at home watching church, you only have about 30 seconds to make people stop that scroll. If I'm scrolling, you only have about 30 seconds. Is the video good? Is the presentation good? Is the audio good? How are you following up through the week with the people? Right. So if you're not going to be able to do that, well, you're probably not going to survive out of this because your people are now being exposed to ministries who have pastor pluses, who make sure every aspect of the ministry is good, not just the preaching, but the graphics are good. The, the, the sound is going to be good. They're going to follow up with you. You got packages coming in the mail. That's a pastor plus Amen. who is paid attention to detail who has used transferable skills to not just pastor you on Sunday, but to make sure that you are managed throughout the week. So it's going to be hard for those people to get that kind of love and treatment and then come back to a pastor who's only concerned about Sunday. It's a growth mindset, right? It's, that's pretty much what it is. Understanding that, yes, you have these skills, but you can grow. Yes. So I think that's a great segue into one of your other books, right? So listen, <laughs> I've done my research, man. <laughs> so you have this book called A Life of Boundaries Moving Toward Intentional Wholeness. Yes. 60% done with that book. But I came across this this morning and I'm like, okay, God, like, why do you want me to, I don't even see how this is going to apply this, to this conversation. He said, just keep it open to that page. I'm going to lead you into it. So that's what you just did. You led me into it. <laughs> um, you referenced uh, Carol Dweck, right? The, the, uh, the author of The New Psychology of Success. Yeah. Um, and she talks about growth mindsets, right? And she says, in your book, you, you, you said this, believing that your qualities are carved in stone, that fixed mindset creates an urgency to prove yourself over and over again. The growth mindset is based on the belief that your basic qualities are things you can cultivate through your efforts. Mm. Although people may differ in every which way in their initial talents and aptitudes, interest or temperaments, everyone can change and grow through application and experience. Yeah. 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 That's growth, man. You know, it, it's growth. You got to have this mindset that says, no matter how good I am today, tomorrow's a new day. Um, and I think when you start limiting what you can do, what kind of um, levels you can get to, 
that's when you're, that's that fixed mindset. Like, hey, it's just going to be this, right? And that's, but next week is going to bring a whole new set of challenges. Tomorrow's going to be another opportunity. And you just, you just never know. Most people don't get to their fullest potential because they've capped themselves off thinking that they're already what they're going to be, you know? And if you could start seeing, and uh, I, I did a sermon series not too long ago called Lenses. And if you could start seeing your life out of the lens of God, see, he's the only one that sees who you're going to be. And if you can start trying to take your glasses off, put on his glasses and say, God, how do you see me? He says, you're the head and not the tail. He says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He says, you know, uh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So, you know, it's just, it's the whole Jacob thing. You know, Jacob, he says, what is your name? In his lens, he says, I'm a trickster. My name is Jacob. God says, no, try this lens. You're Israel. There's a prince in you. You know, and so I think what I'm, what I'm of the sort of, I'm going to take the caps off, right? Only God can see what I can't see. And I need to start seeing the potential. And I'm going to be open to whatever door he lets me walk through. I always tell our preachers, any door that God doesn't want you to walk through, he just keeps it shut. But if there's a door swinging open, growth mindset says, let's go see what I can be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So as you move along with this Pastor Plus concept and it's, and it's becoming even more a part of your life and the lives of those who are, have given you permission to lead them, what, what is your overall desire for somebody who really takes this concept and applies it to their life? Like what, like what is your desire for them? My, my ultimate desire for any pastor or ministry leader is that Paul says that we are living epistles read of men. Is that ultimately Christ is preached? Is that ultimately people are finding God? Pastor uh, Scott Schatzline down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, he talks about the priest and the king. And he, st he started talking about how we're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, right? First Peter chapter two. And he says, sometimes the king, which represents the plus side, and then the priest, which represents the pastor side. He says, sometimes the king can get indoors that the pastor can't get into. The king can get indoors that the priest can't get into. So watch this. The king walks through the door. Come on, Pastor Scott. The king walks through the door and then the priest follows. He says, the idea was, even though the king got in the door, I just wanted them to see the priest anyway. <laughs> and, so, and so I think what we have to get to the point to where we understand, I'm, I'm, I'm ministering on a weekly basis, especially during the season, to 150 or so coaches and players. That's the, pre, that's the king getting that door. I'm walking through that door, but I only wanted them to see the priest. So it's an opportunity now. I'm preaching. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting a chance to minister before guys I would have normally not been able to minister in front of. But God opened that door. Now, I didn't go in, bl uh, guns blazing. If you die today, where are you going to go and spend eternity? No, I didn't go in that way. I came in talking concepts from sports, tying it into scripture, and boom. I, you know, I don't care if you call me the character coach, whatever you call me, the chaplain character coach. At the end of the day, I'm going to say something that's going to draw you closer to God. And so I think ultimately what I want people to understand is God would allow you as the king to go through doors 
grow a business, create income so that you can do ministry at a whole nother level. I don't, I'm not nervous on Sunday. Um, if Zion Christian Ministries fired me tomorrow, I got a master's degree and I run a business. <laughs> In Jesus' name. <laughs> you see, so if, if I'm not in bondage, I'm not tied to that. Right. Okay. Uh, and so what I want, I want you to be free. I want you to do ministry freely. Um, but I also would love for you to have a skill to create multiple streams of income and that you can, you can freely go sow seeds and change people's lives and be an example to other people because other people are watching. And so that's my ultimate goal for everyone is that you have that kind of freedom to maneuver about the world, impacting and changing lives uh, with no hesitation at all. Yeah. And we're being an example right now. I've had business owners call me as a pastor, call me, hey, how are you guys managing through this situation, through this pandemic? What are, you, what are some things you guys are doing? You see, and I really believe what God is doing in this hour is he's restoring the voice of the pastor. Mm. There used to be a time where pastors, you know, the whole civil rights, civil rights movement started out of church. You know, pastor had a voice in the community. You know it, you're a PK. Uh, and so I believe what God is doing is restoring the voice of the pastor that through all of this, uh, I've got musicians who are dually lined. They have other jobs. Now watch this. Their other jobs have shut down, but we still cut them a check. <laughs> Kingdom's still running. <laughs> Kingdom is still running, man. And so I, I really believe God is restoring confidence in the, in the kingdom. And I believe we should be ready and uh, we should be prepared to be those examples for the world. We got a couple of seconds left. So I want you to tell the people where they can find you. Um, any books, any coaching, anything that you have out there that could help them add that plus or embrace that plus, go ahead and share it with them, please. Most definitely. You can visit me on my website at www.cajohnson.org. On my website, it's all my coaching programs, everything that I'm doing. All of my books are there. Wrote a book called A Life of Boundaries. Wrote a book uh, called um, Man-Made Men for Young Men, especially ages 13 to 18. I'm getting ready to start a man-maker academy for adult men, teaching them how to be man-makers using this curriculum. That's starting up in May, so that's all on the website. But then also, you can visit me at my church website at thisiszion.org. Google me, I'm on YouTube, all of those, all of those uh, platforms. Uh, Facebook, at for greatness coach, at for the greatness coach. And then also on Twitter, at CAJ2C, Instagram, at CAJ2C. Pastor, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate you. You added so much value, sir. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. You can support the podcast by subscribing, downloading your favorite episode, and sharing the podcast via social media. Don't forget to visit KingdomMogulCoaching.com to find more resources to help you grow your faith as you grow your business. Remember, what you want to become depends on your willingness to become it.